All right, there we go. We're walking through the book of Acts. Now, one more thing. I've had a bit of a crazy week. Um, we've had a... Um, the jolly thing is, is when you have a COVID test, you're not really meant to be sent out. And so we had to get COVID tests for our boys. And so I spent two days this week um, with three kids at home, which was quite fun. Um, so I'm a little bit behind schedule. And so you're going to, I'm just going to assume grace upon me from you as we work our way through the book of Acts. If you see a spelling mistake, gold star. Don't come and tell me. <laughs> Um, but there probably is some, and um, we're going to work our way through it. Is that okay? I'm, I'm assuming grace. Is that all right? Yes. Cool. Thank you. You know, you know, it's a good start when you're like, I have made a mistake, and you're just going to have to forgive me. Okay. Hey, we're going to walk through the book of Acts. Here's the cool thing. What I love about the Bible, it is both big and small. It is both intimate but enormous. And I know right now that in, even in this space, there are people who will um, and really enjoy this really in-depth look at a, at a piece of scripture as we walk our way through it, probably over several months. And then there are other people um, who, you know, that these people love the nitty gritty. And then there are other people who probably haven't picked up a Bible this year or even in the last couple of years or have never read the book of Acts. And we've got a whole wide range of people in church watching online and at satellite services, okay? So if whatever camp you're in, don't worry about the other camp. And can you just understand that we're going to walk through some of it. It's going to be really detailed. And if that's beyond you, that is totally fine. If you're just picking up, picking up the book of Acts for the first time, just enjoy it. Get an overall theme. If you really enjoy some little particular area, you can write it down and you can start looking into it. Make sure you write your name on your, on your study guide because otherwise you'll leave it here and then you'll pick up Betty's and um, Betty won't have written the awesome notes that you've written. Uh, well, Betty is Horatio's partner, if you didn't know. Okay, there you go. Um, hey, so the first thing is, is context matters. Okay, I love that little picture. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about context. And if you've never heard me talk about context, essentially, it's just about what, whatever we're reading, do we know where it sits in the Bible? Do we know what it's talking about? Um, and this is a good picture. And like, what I'd like is some of you might be like, oh my gosh, look at the tusks. Look how the ivory grain, you know, it's darker here. And it's, I love this little bit of the Bible and I really love this bit. And someone else would be like, oh gosh, look at the artistic tail of the elephant. And other people are just like, oh, it's a big elephant. That's awesome. All of that is cool. Um, so context is really important. So we're, we're going to talk in a moment about what is the book of Acts? Who wrote it? What is it? Where is it? What, all of those sorts of things. Uh, here's a couple of memes. Anyone like a good meme? Just me, okay. Um, for anyone, anyone watch Ninja Turtles as a kid? Oh yeah, okay, three of us. All right, so uh, it's just pizza, but depending where it is, it's a whole different story. Uh, Ninja Turtles ate pizza and they went down. Okay, right, wrong crowd. <clears throat> Uh, remember that context matters. So um, if you've got your little, everyone got a worksheet now? Cool. So there's a couple of questions on there to kick things off. Um, that word, what is the context? So you want to write context in there. Who wrote it? Anyone know who wrote the book of Acts off the top of their head? Anyone? Yell it out. Luke. Yes. Luke wrote the book of Acts of 
Acts. So it was him that wrote it. Um, scholars uh, and theologians and historians actually think that the book of Luke, as in the gospel of Luke, the gospel is the four accounts of Jesus' life on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, by the way, I'm going to explain a couple of things that for some of us, you might not need explaining, but please understand. You know, for some people, this is the first time seeing the elephant, okay? So just let them wonder at the elephant. If you want to look at the tusks, that's okay. But um, the Gospels is the, the four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is very detailed. And what's believed is that Luke and Acts were actually just one book, but in two parts. So if anything... Um, Luke and the book of Acts is like volume one and volume two. We're going to unpack that in a second. Um, so Luke wrote it. And what is the point of the book of Acts? We're going to jump ahead, you know, months. And when we look back, really the point of the uh, book of Acts is to tell the story of the early church. It's much broader than that. Jesus is in there. So if you're writing this down, what is the point of the book of Acts? It's really to uh, tell the story of the early church. When was it written? Well, it was written in 70 to 90 BC uh, in Rome. A few facts about Luke, if you didn't know. Um, AD, sorry. Why have I got BC in there? I don't know. Oh, I think because it was BCE and it was politically correct and I moved it. Sorry. Acts is sequel to Luke. Uh, volume 1 spoke to who Jesus was and what he did. And the book of Acts is volume 2. Uh, and that speaks to what uh, has continued in the works of Jesus beyond going, Jesus going back to heaven. So there's... The first part is about what Jesus did, and then the second part is what Jesus did through the Holy Spirit in people uh, once Jesus was resurrected and went to heaven. All right, a little bit about Luke. Luke was uh, a disciple of Jesus. He was believed to be a doctor or a physician. He was probably a Gentile, but he lived in the Greek city of Antioch. Um, although some people and scholars think that Luke might have been a uh, Hellenaic Jew, uh, which is a type of Judaism that was really through a Greek context, Greek speaking, um, Greek worldview, um, but he might have been a Gentile as well. In fact, I probably lean towards he was a Gentile, um, which means he wasn't a naturally born Jewish person, um, which is quite cool. Uh, according to tr tradition, uh, Luke remained unmarried. Um, and he died at the age of 84. All right, so there's a few facts there. The thing about the book of Acts is it's a bit of a stairwell or a staircase, which you might think that's a bit strange. But it links the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then it goes book of Acts. And then it comes to, ah, oh, we'll come back to that. Then, then it comes to the epistles, which is Paul's letters. Now, I want to ask you a question, all right? Um, where does Luke place, do you think, in the top three biggest contributors to the New Testament? Anyone want to have a guess? Who do, you think, who do you think wrote the most words in the New Testament? Paul? All right. Who do you think came second? Luke? And then some people are saying John. So John wrote uh, John. They believe John 1, 2, and 3. And if it's the same John, John uh, also wrote Revelations as well, they think. Um, so he wrote quite a bit. Uh, Luke wrote two books, and um, Paul wrote definitely seven, some say nine, some say 13. 
um, depending on if you include Hebrews and other books. They're not entirely certain, but he wrote a lot. Okay, you ready? So put your hands up if you think it's, uh, if you think Luke is second. Oh, you're not sure now? Okay, right, okay. Who thinks Luke is first? He only did two books. Okay, all right. Who thinks John is first? All right, only three people voted. Great, all right. (laughs) Hey, so, there you go. Luke has contributed the most to the New Testament in two books, which is a bit of a surprise. So there you go. There's an interesting fact for you. Stefan, I saw you put your hand up. Wow, that's amazing. It's almost like someone told you yesterday while they were loading dirt off a trailer. Ah, sorry, bro. I threw you under it. You look so learned. Uh, By word count, Luke wrote most of the New Testament. Paul wrote 32,000 words, 23% uh, of the New Testament, where Luke wrote 38,000 words or 27%. Uh, Luke did this in two books where Paul wrote in an estimated 9 to 13 books of the New Testament. So by word count, Luke wins. And I can imagine Luke and uh, Paul up in heaven just being like, well, Paul's like, well, actually, I wrote, you know, I wrote 13 books. You only wrote two. He's like, yeah, well, if you go by word count, I did win. Um, so there you go. He won by word count. Um, in Luke, he's a reporter. He writes the, the, the things. And, but in, in the book of Acts, he's a character. He's actually in the book of Acts. So let's move along. The book of Acts is like a stairwell. Oh, yeah, there you go. Moses was first, Israel was second, and Luke comes in third. Well done, Luke. The Gospels, and then it goes into Acts, and it links, the book of Acts links the Gospels and the uh, epistles, which is all of Paul's letters. His, his somewhere between 9 and 13 letters, depending on who you think wrote it. So, are you guys ready? Are we going to kick things off? Let's read chapter 1, because that's where it's a good place to start, and um, read with me. If you've got an NIV, this is going to be a little easier. Here we go. I have notes and your booklet, and I've got slideshow, and I've got a Bible, so let's work with it. Verse 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all the uh, I wrote all of that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit and the apostles he had chosen. So we know that he's already written something, which was the book of Luke. Uh, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many uh, convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days. What we're going to do here, guys, is if you know anything of, book, of we're going to do chapter 1 and 2 today. Chapter 1 is fairly brief, and it's sort of a recap. You know, if you're watching something on Netflix, and then the little thing says recap, and you can watch what, you know, what happened. It, the uh, Acts chapter 1 is kind of recapping what happened with Jesus, that he went to heaven and those sorts of things. So do you mind, in the interest of time today, I just quickly kind of bullet point our way down? Is that Okay. And then we'll get into number two, which is a little more juicier. So it's kind of like in facts and information in, in chapter one, and a little bit more detail in chapter two. So let's, let's move down really quickly. Um, Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say wait, even at uh, the satellites. Go, one, two, three, wait, which is interesting. He has just been resurrected. Remember when they're reading this, when they're hearing this, Jesus died and he's come back and he's been with them for 40 days. I don't know about you, but if I was in that situation 
and I'd seen a guy get killed and then be raised and all the miracles that he'd done, I'd be like, right, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. I'm ready to hit the road and I'm going to pray and I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to get people um, healed and, and I, I want to talk about Jesus. But Jesus says, wait. Why? Why does Jesus say wait? Something is coming. They haven't got the full picture yet. And if you've read the book of Acts before, you might know what it is. So they wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. Verse 6. So when they meet together, they asked him, Lord, um, are you at this time going to restore the kings of Israel? He's basically saying, are you going to come back? Are you going to end things up? Is this the end of the world as we know? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and the Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. So I think in your little thing at home, you should have some gaps to fill in. Um, in verse 8 on page 2, I couldn't print it properly, so you've got big funny things. Um, but you will receive the power uh, when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is don't worry about the finishing line. I'll give you what you need to run the race. I'll go over that again. Don't worry about the finishing line. I'll give you what you need to run the race. If you keep looking at the finish line and not focusing on the race itself, it can actually be quite distracting. You're not aware of what things are happening. Anyone seen those like YouTube videos of some guy who's, you know, lengths ahead of everyone else in athletics, and he's running and the wind's in his hair, and he's looking up at himself on the big screen, and thousands of people are like, ah, go Dre. I mean, someone else. Uh, and they're running along, this is someone else's fantasy, running along, and they're just going, woo, look at me, looking at the finish line, yeah. And then start doing like a cool like Usain Bolt move and then like posing for the camera. Meanwhile, <laughs> everyone else is like, this is my chance. And they start boosting up and he's not aware of what's happening in the race. He's just looking at the finish line. What happens? He gets beaten. It happens time and time again. People who celebrate too early. Don't focus so much on this finish line that you're actually not running the race with focus. Okay. All right. Jesus leaves to be at the right hand of the Father. We're going to continue on. Um, that's in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. Uh, it moves down into verse 12 where they choose this guy called Matthias to take Judas's spot. Again, this is a recap of what happened in the book of Luke. Um, Matthias was chosen to be the uh, 12th disciple. Uh, interesting little fact about Matthias. Um, he was murdered and uh, like all the disciples almost, bar one, um, but Matthias was uh, crucified and then quartered, which is awesome. Don't think about what being quartered means too much. You could probably work it out. <clears throat> okay. So Luke takes some time to unpack what happens, what happened to get themselves up to verse 2. Uh, they talk about how they did it. They talked about Peter standing up the, amongst the believers, quoting old scripture, uh, Old Testament scripture about that they have to replace him. Uh, verse, down to verse 21, then for it was necessary to choose one of the men. They cast lots. They voted for Matthias. So they proposed the two men. Matthias won. 
All right, verse 2. Everybody say verse 2. Okay, we're getting to the squishy bit. It's good. Chapter 2. Thank you. Chapter 2. I was just checking if you guys were awake. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Everybody say one place. Now, the Pentecost, we, when you think Pentecost right now, you might think Pentecostalism. Or you might think, oh, that's the day that the Pentecost really, you know, they really ha- the Pentecostals really hammered up. But back then, remembering, we're still essentially, from their perspective, in the Old Testament, right? Because the Bible hasn't been fully written. Things are happening as they, as they go. Um, and what Pentecost meant at the time was it was a festival of first fruits, but over, uh, initially with Moses. But over time, what it became is it was a festival about the law, which I think is interesting that, you know, it was a festival honoring the law that uh, God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. But then it was on that day and on that festival when the Holy Spirit comes, when Jesus comes to be the law in our lives. Not so much about external stuff, but more about internal stuff. The cool thing about um, Pentecost is people from the entire world came to Jerusalem, almost like a pilgrimage. So people came from everywhere. If you know the book of Acts, you'll know that soon we're going to start talking about people with different languages. That's why. There were people from every little corner of the known world were pilgrimaging. That's a word, right? <clears throat> Thanks, Kath. <laughs> um, and they, they arrived there, and so the different cultures, different expectations, different food, all of this stuff. So there's a whole big hodgepodge of people from different places in Jerusalem on this day. So Pentecost, think that context when you start reading this. Okay, verse 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now everybody, everybody say suddenly. Good work. I heard you at triple nine. Good stuff. Suddenly. Suddenly the Holy Spirit turns up. Remember that Jesus had said, don't go, wait, something is coming. So they're all there up in this upper room and suddenly something happens. The Holy Spirit comes. I've got so many bits of paper. One moment. So if you want to fill that, uh, that, those words down, suddenly, I thought a, a good, um, I think it's an allegory is the Spirit ushered directly down, enabling, new, leading, yearned for. Do you really want that again? Spirit ushered down. I'll do it three times. Spirit ushered down, directly down, enabling, new, leading, yearned for. One more. Spirit, S, ushered, U, directly, D, down, D, E, enabling, E, new, L, leading, Y, two words, yearned for. Spirit is ushered directly down into that space to lead people. And there was a yearning for this. Since the Old Testament, all of the old prophets, the minor and the major prophets had talked about God coming and God being with us. They will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us in the Hebraic language. And here is God with us in us in spirit form, in the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, he comes directly down. The Holy Spirit is ushered directly down, enabling a leading in our spirits. And they were yearning for that. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues um, or as the Spirit enabled them. Tongues of fire. One moment. For those that know some of the Old Testament well, um, this is a repeated Old Testament theme. Where have you seen God represented as fire before? The burning bush. And what does the bush do to Moses? Speaks to him, he talks to him. What about the pillar of fire over the tabernacle? It's his presence with them in their camp. I said, I'm getting chills. How cool is that? So the Holy Spirit comes like a fire, which represents his presence, which represents him talking and speaking to us on each individual. Here's the cool thing. That pillar of fire was over what? How many places in the Old Testament? Just one. But here in the upper room, it's over every single individual. What Luke is writing about is that the Holy Spirit is for all of us, each individual. Now, not just in one place, but in many, each individual. You might say Peter was the greatest of the, um, the disciples. Well, he wasn't the only one that got one. Everyone did. I'm sure even Matthias, who'd been there for two minutes, who was probably sweeping, he got one. And he was like, sweet! I didn't deserve this. I just got put in here like two chapters ago. God is saying something here. What is it to you? What is God saying? God is saying that we are all in this together. Move past this suddenly. What comes to mind for you when you imagine what the Holy, the Holy Spirit coming down to the disciples? If you've got your little workbook, you can write something now. What is that picture? What does that thing mean to you? What does it mean for you now? Those at home, continue to write down. Were you able to get those up online, Hannah? Yes? Cool. Hopefully at home you could screenshot those and even write them down. Oh, I'm not. Do I? I haven't got there yet. <laughs> I'll go back. <laughs> All right. Speaking in tongues. Hopefully you've got something cool there. Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. Remember? Um, and the crowd came together in bewilderment because what did they hear? They heard everyone speaking, not just in random tongues, not in random words and syllables, but their own language. Imagine coming from the furthest, most randomest place where no one's ever heard of, like Gore, um, and coming up... No, sorry. No, like coming from somewhere that no one's ever heard of, let alone the language, right? You're the only one. And maybe you know one common trade language that someone down there, you know, maybe in the market does know and you're able to communicate with him and maybe you can give a little bit of money and he'll communicate for the rest of the things you need for the market while you're in Jerusalem. And some random guy walks up and just starts speaking to you and declaring the love of God over your life in your language fluently. You'd be a little perplexed. This is what was happening. It drew a crowd. This amazing miracle, this amazing sign drew a crowd. People were coming around like, well, 
you know, well, go get Horatio because he's got a really random language. Let's see if that, you know, like testing that. Do you know his? And someone comes up and speaks to him. The thing about a sign is this, that a sign is simply something to point. You should never worship or focus on the sign. The sign is to point to something. So miracles are a sign, if you're writing that down. And they are just meant to point to Jesus. Don't worship the sign. Don't get overly involved in the miracles. I remember um, a number of years ago back in Hamilton, when I, w- I was involved in a church of about 50 people. And then over the course of about three years, it grew from about 50 to 700. One of the major reasons it grew is because signs and wonders started happening. It was in kind of that kind of that kind of era in the mid-2000s. Uh, a lot of that stuff was happening. Um, and things like, and look, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment, but these are the things that were happening, or at least stated were happening. Things like uh, feathers falling from the ceiling in a place much like this, just suddenly all these feathers falling. Uh, a couple of people uh, suddenly had a gold tooth just appear. And in fact, one of the men that got a gold tooth, I actually really trust and respired and respected, and I was inspired by them, admired, and I admired them. So I actually do believe that was, if he said it was, it was. Um, gold teeth, uh, rubies, and gold dust, and diamonds, and oil, and, and smell, and like a, like all of this stuff started to happen. It was pretty intense. And initially, gosh, it was awesome. It was so cool. But we went from 50 people one Sunday, and then it was like 200 people the next Sunday, then it was 280 the next Sunday, then 300, then 500, then within a couple of months it was 700 people a Sunday because people were coming for the signs and they wanted to get gold teeth. Um, But I prayed for a gold car, it didn't happen. Um, (laughs) um, But the focus had really quickly shifted from the signpost that was just pointing to Jesus. And for whatever reason, I don't pretend to understand why that happened at that time. But people were focusing on the sign, not what it was pointing to. The sign is only a pointing. So let's carry on. They were amazed. They were speaking um, uh, all different languages. Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears our own language? Uh, And it goes through different ones. 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And then Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd. and He says, look, this is not what this is. This, it's only nine in the morning. I like that. That's how it's go-to. It's not that, no, the disciples could never be drunk. It was, it's only nine in the morning, okay? Calm down. That's, that's his response. But then he goes on, and he goes to do a prophecy that we see in Joel, which is, again, Old Testament. And he said, a lot of you will be aware of this. Can I read Joel out to you? Is that okay? In the last days, with my movie voice. <laughs> In the last days, no, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Verse 19, I will show wonders of the heaven above and signs on the earth below and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before coming to the great and glorious day of the Lord. Kind of the end days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, context. 
Peter gets up and says that to all of those people. A lot of them were Jews. A lot of them knew that verse. Firstly, anyone else just low-key impressed that Peter could remember all of that? We know, we know it quite well now. But like he was in that sitting and he's like, I remember Joel. I'm going to just prophesy this, his, his prophecy. I think that's cool. Um, Jewish boys would uh, learn by rote a lot of Jewish context and script from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So um, it's no shock that he does, but it, I'm, I'm impressed. Well done. So Joel's prophecy, there's a whole bunch of things, and people for uh, hundreds of years have tried to ascertain, and part of this theological, part of this walkthrough for us through the book of Acts is I'm not going to give you all the answers, because my answers may not be yours, but if you go through that list and you want to circle yes or no, Y or N, do you feel that those things have been met? So what do we got? We've got, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Well, you might be a yes or you might be a no. Sons and daughters, they'll prophesy. You might have experienced or seen some of these. Um, and, you know, there's, this, um, there's a, lots of theological terms I've left out to make it uh, as palatable as possible. But there's essentially these two theological juxtapositions, of positions, these two different ends of the spectrum. One called cessationism, which it's got the word cease. And then there's the other word uh, continuation. Uh, continuationism. And basically that says, uh, cessationism says, no, the fruits of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit ended with the apostles. It no longer does anything. No longer are there healings. No longer are there miracles. No longer can you speak in tongues. Those things um, end. And then on the flip side, you'll get someone who says, no, it's fully continued through to today. Um, and I'm not going to draw lines for you. There are, I know there are people in this church that lean towards this way and lean towards that way, but I just thought it'd be interesting for some of you to look at the detailed tale of the elephant and understand some theological terms. That Are you a sensationist, which believes in the end of the, whole, uh, end of the outworking of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to guess that if you're in a Pentecostal church, probably not, though there are some that, uh, that lean towards more that way. Um, but here at Cornerstone, I think I can speak on behalf of the elders. We do believe that God works, and I have seen God move um, in the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, which we will mention later. So is it fulfilled? Do you think maybe not fulfilled in any way? Now, I know when you say fulfilled, it's kind of an end statement, but I couldn't think of another word. So is it, you can circle what one you think. Is it not fulfilled in any way? Partially fulfilled at the time? Is it fulfilled on the day of Pentecost? Or is it the fulfillment began on the day of Pentecost? Because you might look to some of those bottom ones, and I don't know about you, but I haven't seen blood and fire and billows of smoke personally yet. Um, so for me, Personally, if it matters to you, um, I would probably be the bottom right. I think a lot of it was fulfilled on the day, but God is moving and fulfilling that prophecy that we see in Joel over time, is my, my personal opinion. And um, in verse 22, let's jump to 22, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. So he does this big prophecy. Uh, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. This man was handed over to you. You killed him, essentially. But God raised him from the dead. 24. Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep him. It's hold on him. 
And David said this about him, King David. So again, you need to understand the context here. When Peter says David spoke about him, David was uh, his grandfather. You can actually literally figure it out. I don't know how many times, 27 times or something like that. There was a bloodline between Jesus and David, right? And when he calls on the name of David, King David, that was like a big call. And he's saying he even prophesied about Jesus. So in the context, these random people are hearing all these random things. And Jesus, uh, sorry, uh, Peter says, um, he quotes Joel. And then he says, you killed Jesus. He was actually the Messiah, guys. You killed him. He was raised. Many of you have heard us say that he was, uh, he was living for 40 days. Then he ascended, went to heaven again. Um, and what are you going to do with it? Now, there are a lot of people there. And I think I've got a question somewhere in here. I, I asked the question, essentially, you'll get there in a moment. Why do you think 3,000 people responded to that message? Because essentially it was a prophecy. Well, first they saw them speaking in tongues. Then it was a prophecy. Then he gave them the, the word, the charge. You did this. And then they responded. In humility, it says. Um, because what, are, what did they say? Let's find it in the scripture. Otherwise, I'll misquote it. So David, um, he does that big verse in 26, 27, where he's quoting David, I saw the Lord. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to this day in Jerusalem. There's a place where they think, maybe, I don't personally think, that's where David's resting tomb is. But um, he was at the time. You could go visit King David's um, tomb. That would have been cool. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, verse Down to verse 34, For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, which is God talking to Jesus. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, okay, 37, follow along. 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They probably said it in their own language and they were able to interpret it <laughs> because they were speaking that. Peter replied, so that question, why did they do it? Why did they see 3,000? You know, um, I've been a minister, I've been a pastor for 15, uh, 5, 6, 7, 7. I've been an ordained minister for 7 years been a senior pastor for coming up on five. And, you know, we've seen God grow the church. In three years, I think we saw it, you know, about triple the size. You know, it, it, it had grown. It was sort of around that 300 mark. Then you look at Jesus. He did his ministry for three years, and he had 120. There's this funny quote somewhere out there, like, by church pastor, um, um, you know, well, on all account, you'd look at that and you'd go, that's not fantastic church growth. You know, 120 people in three years. That was okay, Jesus. You get a B plus, uh, which is hilarious. But he set everything up. So the moment the Holy Spirit comes with its power and the signs and wonders of the miracles that point to Jesus, what happened? 3,000 people got saved. There is power in Jesus. And when people see God move powerfully, you can't really argue with it. Your testimony is powerful because you can't argue it. 
You can say, well, okay, let's, let's talk about eschatology. I don't believe in eschatology. I don't believe in your theology. Let's talk about uh, evolution, all of this stuff. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, I was a broken little boy and Jesus changed my life. Wow, we can't talk about that, can we? I was like, oh, no, I get that, but I was this. I am now here, only through the blood of Jesus. <laughs> you cannot argue your testimony. You cannot argue the power of God moving through all of your lives. Your test is your testimony. Share it. You know, the Bible says that uh, somewhere, I can't, uh, it, might, it, might, it might be James. Anyway, that the, um, the Spirit of the Lord is a testimony. When you prophesy, when you, testi- when you testify, it's like a prophecy. When you testify to what you've done, the person sitting next to you goes, well, if Helen could do it, maybe I could. It's a, it's a testimony and it's a prophecy on your own life. So there's this groundbreaking theological idea. Because remember the context, everyone was a good Jewish person, you know, followed the Torah, followed the law. And this whole paradigm shift where Peter goes, hey, you know that guy that you might have heard about in the marketplace, Jesus? Yeah, he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. And we're doing these miracles and you're sitting there going, okay, right, you're probably telling the truth, right? But it was groundbreaking, theological, worldview, mind-changing thing. Because now, like we talked about, the Holy Spirit is in you, with you. You don't have to go to God through the temple. You are now the temple of God. Imagine this, because you weren't just, there weren't really Jewish people that didn't do Jewish things. Like it was like this mix between a religion and a culture so much that you could almost never divide them. And so when they did and they became Christians and they followed Jesus, yeah, it turned families upside down. It turned culture upside down. Um, And you can read in the book of Acts, like we're going to, about all the things that started to happen in that area. It was intense. Repent, be baptized, was his response. Verse 38. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, remember, that was just a name they heard in the marketplace at the time. For some of them. Some of them had been at Jesus' um, death. For forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off. Guess what? It includes Rolleston. We are far off from there. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from the corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Didn't say everyone, but they were baptized right there. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We've seen significant growth in our church over a number of years. I can't imagine how going from 120 to 3,000 in a day would feel. (laughs) But like, right, we need a huge host team. (laughs) But it was cool. The fellowship of the believers. This is one of my favorite pieces of scripture everywhere, anywhere. Acts 2.42. Can we read this together? They devoted, well, sorry, I'll read it. You just read. I'll read it out loud. You just listen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and so many wonders and miracles and signs were being done by the apostles. And I imagine others as well as they got saved. On your booklet there, verse 31, they accepted his message and were baptized. 
How did they do it? How did they go from being Jews that were really Jewish, doing Jewish things and all the customs, and I'm sure for a number of years they still looked a lot like that. But how did they turn their whole world around? The Bible says, or the Bible highlights that there were three areas. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? So they learned. How do we we grow Christians? How do we grow as Christians? We put ourselves in an environment of learning. Maybe it's podcasts. Maybe it's connect group. Maybe it's on a Sunday. How do you learn and develop your faith? Teaching and the fellowship of each other. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. So you'll see those three areas on your workbook. Three foundations of a new church member in Acts 2 is they were learning. They put themselves and submitted themselves in friendship. Iron sharpens iron, doing life together, connect groups, home groups, in each other's homes. And then it said um, friendship slash breaking of bread, i.e. in your home, living together. Anyone want to take a stab in the dark? Why was that? Like this is both beautiful and really picturesque and a lovely thing for us to reflect on. But there's a very practical reason why they were doing that. Anyone remember? Um, in verse 5, chapter, yeah, verse, chapter 2, verse 5, they came from everywhere. So all of these people, we're just talking a day, maybe two days, over this massive amount of people getting saved. They didn't have homes. <laughs> they didn't have family. They probably were broke. They were probably going to go there for Pentecost and come straight back. And some of them would have been there for days and weeks And then the gospel scattered out and went back into those far-strung places. But when it's talking about, you know, they brought each other into their home, remember the actual context. They kind of needed to because 3,000 people from all over the workplace, they would have been like, hey, how's it going? Do you want to come over for for food? And they would have been like, okay. And come around, they would have made friends. Um, has anyone ever done that? Like you're trying to have a conversation with people from another language and you're just so stoked. I once had to order, or get a haircut in Cambodia, but in like Batambong where there's not any English at all. And I knew Tom um, Tom, which meant big, and Tik Tik, which meant small. So I was like, Tom Tom, Tik Tik. And he was like, yeah, high five. And we were both super stoked. <laughs> and I got back and I was like, I got a haircut. Ooh. Okay, moving on. (laughs) They devoted themselves to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and so many wonders and miraculous signs. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. That Greek word uh, for common is koinos, spelt with a K. I'll show it to you in a moment. Oh, those are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Miracles at a point. (laughs) Sorry, I got carried away. Uh, Here's a great thing about the explosiveness of Christianity really came from the Spirit, and it sent people out. Sorry, three foundations for a church member. There you go. Koinos. It's that togetherness. It's that mutual understanding. Yes, they would have been so different, as we talked about. Culturally, they would have been so different, but they were united on a fresh and a new love for Jesus. How cool is that? Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread. In their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is the last page of the thing there. There's a question. There's the very real reason. Yep, there you go, verse uh, 2, verse 5. But that next one, 
verse 46. What does that teach us about doing church in a COVID season? They did church together online. Sorry, we can do church together online. They were in house to house. And as we've talked about as an eldership, I just want to side note, yes, we've been talking very directly about Acts. But for us, I would imagine in the next coming weeks as eldership, we have said that once there's enough cases in Christ in Christchurch that we go, hey, for the health and safety of everybody, to look after everybody, we're going to ask the church to connect into connect church mode where we'll have one or two connect groups coming together. You guys have heard us talk about this briefly. Um, and that will likely be actioned um, if we start to see the cases rise considerably in Christchurch. We want to protect you guys. And when that happens, I'd like to say this to you. I'll ask you a question. Is that church? Coming together, breaking bread, watching online, sure, <laughs> but in each other's homes. And in that case, in that scenario, you're going to be in each other's homes watching the temple, as in, you know, watching church in the temple. Breaking bread, we encourage you to feast, to eat together. And some of you will feel a bit nervous about that because, A, you don't, you know, you're a bit, uh, what's the word, introverted, perhaps, or even you're worried about health and stuff. That's totally fine, up to you, whatever you want to do. But I encourage you, if this continues for some time, weeks into months, connect. I remember coming out of the first um, lockdown and I said this really massive statement. Sometimes when you're disconnected physically, you feel disconnected emotionally. And I still think that's true. Make sure you connect because when you disconnect physically, you can't connect with your friends and family. You will start to feel disconnected. It's natural. We're made to do relationship together. Make sure you can, even if it's on Zoom, whatever it looks like. Hey, moving down really quickly. Praising God and join the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who have been saved. Praise and enjoy. Though the redemptive acts of Christ, we see a generous God. The Acts 2 church reflect that generous God. What's this main theme? I want you to take a minute while the worship team comes up. What is your main theme? When you look at Acts 2, what is the main theme for, sorry, Acts 1 and Acts 2? What's the main theme for you? What, is it, what does it speak to you about? And I've got there just my thoughts. I've got a couple of versions of it because I, um, <clears throat> I went to drama school. So sometimes when I write things, I write them all creatively. And then I was like, that's not helpful for everybody. So... Um, I was just reflecting and I thought, what about this? My, my major takeaway is that we are to love God. Peter was very clear, you know, love God, but love others. We see that generosity reflected in Acts 2.42. Listen to the Holy Spirit and then leap in faith. They sold their possessions to each other. Why? They sold stuff. They were in each other's face. I would say that very seldom do we see God's love in community look sterile, planned, and everything ordered. Often it's messy and come around and we'll get involved. And a whole bunch of people from this church yesterday with uh, dirt under their fingernails loving me and helping me dig a garden. And I appreciate that. That's what love can look like. But with all of this, that's great and everything. But what do you do with it? Make sure your name's on your booklet. Why don't you put your booklet to the side and stand to your feet with me. Those at home, do the same. Love you guys. Those at the satellites. 
What do we do with this? It's not just knowledge. Is for the first time you're hearing about the Holy Spirit in a practical way. What do you need to do? The generosity and love for other people, is that a fresh thing that you need to be walking in? Maybe you're one of the 3,000 and you're sitting here and you're like, I need to respond. God, you know the hearts and minds of everybody, satellites included, and at home. Speak to us, Lord. My question for you to this morning is what do you need to do? We're going to worship God. And if in that worship song you feel like you've got a bit of a thing, why don't you write it down? You've got lots of space or maybe on a back page. What is the thing that God is asking you to do? Here at Cornerstone, our fifth cornerstone is growing. We are growing. I hope that as we walk through the book of Acts together as a Fano, we are inspired, encouraged, and we engage with the scripture. But it speaks to us, not just for our head knowledge, right? But for our hearts and for our lives to change. Father, we thank you. We pray that you, your spirit, would move in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we worship? Holy Spirit, speak to us during this worship song we ask in your name. And maybe at the end of worship, why don't you write down what do you think God might be talking to you about? If you would like prayer through any of this, you're more than welcome to come up in the last song or come up at the end, and we would love to pray for you. Cheers.